Oh yeah, Paul. We were watching football last night, and we uh, decided that, or the other night, and you look like the Titans' head coach. Head coach, even more so with that scruffy looking beard. Uh, now yep, I there see what it he is. Looks like yeah, he does. You do. Look, look him up. Titans. He's 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 even got this one eye kind of squinty more than the other. He's got a squinky a squinky he's eye. He's got a squinky eye. I don't see the resemblance. What? I'm kidding. Did you look him up? Oh. No, I went the squeaky squink squinty eye. <laughs> I can't remember the guy's name. It's Titans head coach. Mike Rabel? Yeah. Does he he's, look like you? He looks a lot more macho than me. <laughs> he's he looks like a man, not like a freaking dweeb like me <laughs> well that goes without Stop saying that. no but well i was like man that guy, i'm like that guy looks like paul <laughs> what's the matter dearie <laughs> you remind me of My pet tarantula. Look, Granny, we can't carry the torch for our loved ones forever. You gotta pull yourself together. (laughs) And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks. Internet radio broadcast. Stop it! Genesis! Oh, what's in the box? Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. There's been like this, these big, these earth-shattering discussions that, hey, comic books aren't selling. No shit. And that's that's like what the guy at at Coliseum of Comics. He's like, he's like. He's like, Marvel and DC sales are down. And then people show things on Twitter. They're like, oh, how can sales be down? Look at this. Look at these, this, th- th- that ICV2, whatever thing that lists um, graphic novels and comics together. But what you don't see is that what is driving those sales is manga. Mm. Manga and, and trades are driving those sales. Single issues are like, and and then some other lady that's come out with some articles or a book and b- basically saying that comic pros don't care about the comic book stores that like some of the newer pros that they're just there basically using the comic book as their storyboard for their intellectual property that they want to get paid for that they yeah. could care less about the comic book store. It's just. How can I get my stuff out there to make money? I don't care about these stories that I get stuck on that I got to do, you know, and, and how the comic guy saying he's like, you know, and we've been saying this for years. 
Every time you do a number one, people say, oh, that's a jumping on point. Well, you know what? Every time you end a series, it's a jumping off point, too. And people mm-hmm. are like, yeah, I'm done. And he's like, it's diminishing returns and you're killing the killing the industry. Every time there's a new number one, an angel gets its wings. No, every time there's a new no, new number one, an angel goes to hell. A devil gets its horns. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> I remember when I was buying Steady and I had I still have every issue of Action Comics from like I don't know, three fifty, you know, up. Yeah. When they ended the numbering, I was so pissed off because I was like, I'm gonna hit a thousand on this. <laughs> and then they brought it back with that bullshit. I still don't count that as the original run. I don't give a shit what you do with the number. Oh yeah, that that was the other thing they said. You you yeah, you need to have a substantial run and keep it because that that's another way. Like people, when they kept counting up through a run, would put up with the changes just for the, you know, for the, uh, I don't want to say monotony, but for the, you know, okay, uh, this one, and I got this one, I got this one. You stop the numbering, it's like, oh, uh, I guess I don't need it. I mean, fuck, I've got all every Avengers up through, I think I stopped like three years ago because i was just like these stories suck Ugh. that's that's how i got out of you know being the superman completist i was also buying supergirl mm-hmm. and justice league once they started with the rebooting and the numbers i says this is my getting off point on those books yeah yeah well this great comic 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 top discussion that won't be in uh <laughs> i am the porky pig of podcasting <laughs> can we talk 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 to discussion, discussion. <laughs> what's wrong with your foot uh i don't know diabetes yeah well yeah you know it's a pub- gout gout the rich yeah. man's disease wait don't i have to drink a lot of beer to get gout or like eat no. a bunch of meat you have to have a lot of uric acid. How do you get that? Call you an ass. What? I think I think it's from eating high cholesterol foods, actually. Oh. Steak, lobster, things like that. Oh, I haven't had any steak or lobster. No. Have you had Have you had stook or lobster? No. <laughs> the substitutes. <laughs> also, it comes in uh, tomato soup and uh, grilled cheese sandwich. Grilled cheese puffs. Gout, nice. gout symptoms. Let's see. Welcome to the old man comic podcast. Uh, the pain. For, let's see. A big the toe. Pain. A the big the toe, ages. knee, or ankle joints are most often. No, this is the top of my foot. The pain also frequently starts during the night and is often described as throbbing, crushing, or excruciating. The joint may also appear warm. No, no, no. I, I don't have gout. I just have bad feet. I got flat feet. I think I just sometimes if I overdo it running, moving too fast, I might like pull a little something, something in my foot. And they took you in the service with flat feet. I look, man. I said, well, they were like, well, you're going in the Navy. So, eh. you know, he was eh. like Steve, Steve Rogers in the Captain America movie. He kept trying until they finally let him in. They gave, well, him no. the su- they gave him the Super Soldier fl- formula, and look what it did to him. <laughs> they gave me the Super Mountain Dew formula, and look what happened. 
The super you know what? Mountain Dew for you is like the infinity formula for Nick Fury. <laughs> you don't drink the Mountain Dew, you're just going to shrivel away to nothing. Yeah. No, they, they were like, uh, you know, walk forward like this, walk, you know, with your feet, where, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then you have to moonwalk. And, and <laughs> break that, spin on the floor. No, they were, they were like, ah, you'll be fine. I'm like, okay. Oh, man, boot camp was horrible. Horrible. I can imagine. Oh, my God. You had to fucking. Now boot camp's a joke. I was talking to even even the guys that, that I work with, they they were in the Navy, too. But it was like like about five to 10 to 15 years after. And, and I'm like, what? What? You had sneakers the first two weeks? What are you talking about? Day one, boondockers, which are still told shoes. You know, I was I had to run everywhere. If you weren't in formation, you had to run. Marching all over the fucking place. Anybody else disagree with my little plan to march up and down the square? <laughs> oh, I wish I had my camera hooked up. Now, guess what I'm holding in my hands? Oh, <laughs> you weenie. <laughs> well, besides that, the other hand, the other hand. <laughs> uh, I have The Man Called Nova, number two, which was the last issue that I needed. It just came in the mail today. So now I have a complete collection of Nova. Nova. Of the original run. Of the original run, yes. I've had a complete collection of the original run since they canceled the original run. <laughs> <laughs> Did they restart the numbering? Yeah. See? We were just talking about that. This Condor guy on the cover looks really... He's basically Black Angel. That's actually kind of cool. Uh, what Whatever happened to him? I don't even remember this dude. He, he got discontinued. Uh, he got canceled. Uh, they, that, that story actually was concluded in Fantastic Four 212? Yep. Somewhere around there? Yep. With... Uh, what's his name? The, the, the Sphincter? The, the Sphincter. Yes. <laughs> Yep. All right. If you just go on to boundingintocomics.com, you can uh, find the, the or Cosmic Book News, you can find the articles that I'm talking about. You might have to the, scroll down the articles and find of the war. That'll cut into my porn time, but I will I will take a look at that when I have a okay. chance. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. Happy I'm Halloween. Paul and we have a full house here today. We've got Dave Pascarella, Scott Gardner, and purportedly it's Ben Robinson, but I believe it's Bill Robinson pretending to be Ben Robinson. I am the artist formerly known as Dr. Bill. <laughs> Happy Halloween. How's everybody doing? Happy this Halloween. is not a Halloween episode. I thought this movie. was a Halloween episode. By the, by the books Halloween. that we're bringing, this you would think Halloween. it was a Halloween episode. It's the nightmare before Christmas. <laughs> so, time is of the essence, though, so we should get right to our books. Let's yes, go. Yes, we should. Which, what are we covering first? Oh, since, since I have the most time crunch, I think I should do my book, because this way if I have to... Excuse me. If I have to let you guys finish the episode without me, we're still okay. Wait, let me get my book out of the way. All right, done. <laughs> okay. So, I shared I brought, the book with Bill. 
You helped him. You helped him write helped the synopsis. Him <laughs> I for, for my book, I picked Ghostbusters number one, which was released on September twenty eighth of two thousand eleven, and there was a second printing on November twenty third of two thousand eleven. So I guess this one sold fairly well. And just just uh, by way of background, I think I picked this book to cover around Halloween. <laughs> And, <laughs> right. and and I think you picked your book as well around that yes, time, Scott. And we, right. yes. the, for reasons that I'm not quite sure, they just keep getting delayed and delayed and delayed. But we're finally doing them today. Yep. So Ghostbusters was published by IDW. Uh, the story, there were two stories in there. I'm only going to actually cover one. But it says story writers Eric Burnham and Tristan Jones. I'm guessing Eric Burnham wrote the first one. Penciled by Dan Schoening. Colored by Luis Antonio Delgado, lettered by Sean Lee, and edited by Tom Waltz and Bobby Kernow. There are, I believe, four different covers, but the main cover shows a cartoony version of the Ghostbusters, which is the style for the book uh, that we, for the story within the book. And they're in the Ghostbusters car, Ecto 1A driving towards the reader with Dr. Venkman and Winston shooting their plasma weapons towards the reader as well. The story opens with the boys as guests on a talk show, with each getting an introduction indicating their backgrounds. The show is hosted by Janine, their receptionist, Gal Friday, who was played in the movie by Annie Potts. When she opens the floor for questions, a ghostly woman asks Ray Stans, who is was played by Dan Aykroyd in the movie, uh, if he's a god in a callback from the first film, he answers that he is. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work out the way they would have hoped in that uh, in that movie. And she calls out that it's a lie and blasts him. He finds himself alone outside the building where the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man also makes an appearance. He's questioning reality when he's visited by a spirit who is actually his spirit guide. And he bears a striking resemblance to Joliet Jake Blues who warns him that the third is coming. At this point, Stans wakes up. The following morning, Egon, who was played by Harold Ramis in the movie, is testing Ray since he believes that he had a precognitive episode. Meanwhile, we join a man apparently getting ready in the morning and talking on the phone as he does so. He says that zombies are free advertising and that some creature, oh, and then some creature erupts from his mirror and attacks him. We cut to Winston, who was played by Ernie Hudson and Janine, welcoming a young friend at the headquarters. The boy, young boy tells Winston about a ghost in their building, and Winston agrees to help for the six dollars that the boy can afford to pay. Uh, it seems that the boy's uncle is Janos, who was played by Peter McNichol in Ghostbusters 2. And I'm not as familiar with Ghostbusters 2. I'm not nearly as familiar as I am with the original movie. So Winston You were picks, like a buzzing of flies. He's Vigo. Janosh, wasn't it? His name? Okay, so I pronounced it wrong. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I'm a little more familiar with that one. Okay. Uh, so Winston brings Venkman along, who questions Winston's willingness to perform pro bono work. They arrive at the building, which is dripping with slime, and are accosted by the building's super, who Venkman quickly outwits. They walk up to the fourth floor and start to investigate. Venkman comes upon a room with even more slime and says that this could be ground zero. They get blasted, and as, as they lay on the ground, they're confronted by a very angry and dangerous-looking slimer. To be continued. And then there's a short second story that has, uh, what's his name, Peck, 
from the Walter uh, Peck. from from the from the movies as well as from uh, Die Hard. Mr. Pecker. <laughs> uh, but but again, I'm not covering that one. And that one is drawn in a much different style, though, which is worth noting. The so, uh, the kid that's uh, Janusz or however the hell you pronounce, it, he's got a really weird name. The the nephew at first I thought was uh, the baby. I think his name was Oscar. Yeah, the baby. Yes. Um, um, Sigourney's baby. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah. Could be. I don't know. Well, you know, the building, the building that the guy, the ghost comes out of the mirror, isn't that the original building? That's what that it they, looked like to me. Yeah. That uh, Sigourney Weaver was in and they had the portal open up at the top. Because if you look, there's two things in the top. That's the two things where the uh, Rick Moranis and uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver turned into the dogs. I don't know. I it could be because there's a church right next to it, too. And the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man stepped on a church that was mm-hmm. next to that building as he was attacking. But that building was much taller than this building is. Yes, right it here. was. Yes. Yeah. Or it appeared to be in the in the. Yeah. In the yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, I liked this. I, I liked it a mm-hmm. hell of a lot more than I expected to like it. Um, yeah. I, I it did, too. Cool. I did, too. I I thought you know uh you know whenever you're dealing with licensed properties there are a lot of obstacles to overcome in the books and i thought this had it, it didn't have any laugh out loud humor as far as i was concerned but it still had a light-hearted feel yeah and i thought that was good enough to kind of bring you through it uh and the art kind of reflects that i, I it's cartoony uh but it's still effective as far as the storytelling goes I'm usually not a big fan of the cartoony, but I think for this style of story, it, it works. And and that's what we were talking about recently, that sometimes we got to look at the style and see what matches the book. Now, this particular style in a regular superhero book, I would hate. Right. But in this book, I think it really works well. Because it, it feels it like, like a, an animated version. Yeah, I was going to say like a Pixar or something yeah. version. It's like a it's like an animated version, but a, a definite step up from the real Ghostbusters. Because I I didn't care for the models in that. Now I know that they didn't have the likeness rights, and apparently they don't here either. But they do look much closer than that. At least Egon doesn't have that weird weird pompadour or whatever the hell he was sporting. In oh the, yeah, in the other one because yeah, that was just distracting. If they didn't have the likeness rights in, in here, I think they skated dangerously close to having yeah. issues. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. they do look like cartoon versions of the character, of the actors. Especially Jim Belushi. John Belushi. John Belushi. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, so, so they, they, you know, they, that's the only one. I don't think it really looks much like Ernie Hudson. No. But as far as the other three, I think it does look like them. And, and I think, you know, and, and the John Belushi uh, character. I don't think it looks much like Annie Potts either, actually. No. Sort of looks almost more like the cartoon version of her. Yeah. But the Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis characters, I think, look pretty much like cartoon versions of their real selves now but all that said i thought the story 
was pretty decent. I thought it was interesting to read. It was a, you know, it was a fast read. It is, you know, pretty much decompressed. Uh, but it, it left me, and this this is often the case when we do a first issue, the question I ask is, do I want to read issue two? And it did leave me wanting to do that. Now, I haven't done it, even though I pulled this book out a couple of months ago to to uh, to do for the show. But just the same, it's still, you know, rereading it again today to come on tonight. I had the same feeling, like, you know, I really got to pull this out and read the series. Hmm. So, I'm, you know, overall, I'm giving it a pretty good thumbs up. Um, as, you know, again, as far as the art goes, there were moments in it that I thought were exceptional. I think the Slimer at the end, the splash page with him coming towards them is very effective. Um, again, the, you know, the, the likenesses are, are pretty good. I think the storytelling kind of brings it through. It has... It almost has the feel of being animated as far as the story progression as it's going through it. Like I, I could easily see how this could translate to a uh, to an animated version. And I, and I don't doubt, you know, we, we were talking earlier about people with their properties and all of that. I don't doubt that, you know, the the writers and art, artists were saying, hey, you know, maybe maybe at some point they'll uh, produce this somehow, you know, in a in, right. a, uh, in a in an animated version. Now the uh, female ghost at the beginning in the in the dream sequence. That's Zul. That's what I was thinking. I yeah, hundred yeah, percent. The glowing red eyes. It's the cartooniness that throws you off. But it's definitely Zul. Right. Had any of you ever seen this one before? Now? No. 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 I like that they got the because uh, when when I go into something like this, you know, wh- where I don't have a lot of familiarity with with what it's going to be or where it's going to go, but I'm familiar with the source material. What my ex- my expectation right from the cover was that basically it was going to do what most of these licensed things seem to do, which was you know, just a lot of references back to, you know, the property that, you know, you know, whatever it originates from in this case, you know, the, the first two Ghostbusters movies and the first one more than the second one and be a lot of, you know, winks and nods and fan, you know, fan wankery type of thing. And I like that it kind of pulls a fast one because at the beginning with it seeming like they're on this talk show with Janine, and then you've got—I uh, always want to call her Gozer, but I guess you're right. This is uh, this is Zool, I think. You know, with it being her, and then the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man shows up. I thought, oh Christ, here we go. But no, then it, it all turns out to be a dream sequence, and I thought, oh, that's clever because they they you know they did what I thought they were going to do, but then they subverted it and got all that shit right out of the way, and then it gets into a more or less, you know, original uh, Ghostbusters adventure, um, you know, still with callbacks and things, because it does end with Slimer and all, but it seems on the surface of the first issue that it it may be going, you know, in in some interesting and and hopefully some fresh and new directions. So that that was cool. I I thought that was pretty clever. I I think what they did was was basically exactly what you said, but I think it was, okay. we're going to give you your references early. We're going to you know make you comfortable with this. 
Then we're going to bring you into an original story. And once we feel like we have you coming along for the original story, now we'll come back to another reference and we'll give you right. we'll give you a Slimer. Right. Now, you, you were you were right the first time, Scott. This the Dana was Zool, because remember, you know, there is no Dana. Uh, yeah. There is only right. Zool. Right. So Gozer right. is the one that's that's at the talk show. OK, so she's goes. OK, I, yeah, yeah, I can never keep them straight either. <laughs> I mean, yeah, not that it really matters, but clearly I can't. Yeah, neither can I. <laughs> yeah, because, because I think I remember Dan Aykroyd in the movie going. Goes are the destroyer, blah 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 blah, and then she's like jumping around, and Bill Murray's like, it's, she's a sprite little minx or something. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Nimble I, I little like, minx, isn't she? Uh, you know, although I don't remember there ever being a, a reference to uh, whatever his name was, Janosh or whatever. I, I can't remember him. You know, there being a reference to him having a nephew or whatever, but. I like just that he was referenced because I'm I'm hoping that whatever they do with this, that maybe there's more nods to the second. I really like the second one. I, you know, no, it's nowhere near as good as the first one, but I, I feel like it, it gets unfairly dogged. Um, I, I feel like, you know, there there's a lot to love about the second one, too. So I, I thought that was kind of cool. And now that I think about it, maybe this is Dana's boy grown up and, and he just refers to him as his uncle without being like oh. biologically his. I, I didn't really think about that. Well, did they say it, the kid's oh. name? Um, what they did at some point. Yeah, I think that actually I think you're right. I think they did say his name. Oh, yeah. Alan. Yeah. So, yeah, it's no, it's not him then, because I'm pretty sure the baby's name was Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. That's Uncle Janos. Hmm. And I was confused at first because I kept thinking I kept thinking that she had twins, but that's because twins played the baby, but she only oh. had one baby. But but but, you know, because of labor laws and all that, twins actually played, you know, that that one single character. I like the inclusion of uh, John Belushi. Yeah, I thought that was because cool. I think he was supposed to be in this, wasn't he? I think so. Yeah, I think this go if if I mean I am no Ghostbusters expert, but I think I've heard that before that the origin of Ghostbusters goes back as far as when Belushi was still alive, um, right? And was, and was originally conceived. Uh, you know, he would he would be one of them. Now I don't know if one of the existing Ghostbusters replaced him or when he died, his character, just whatever the character would have been just, you know, disappeared, was written out or whatever that, that I don't know. So hope maybe, maybe uh, a listener knows more. Just, about a, just a, a quick Google search. And I, you know, I saw the question, you know, was John Belushi in Ghostbusters? So shortly, shortly before his death from a drug overdose in 1982, the actor had been cast as Dr. Venkman in an upcoming supernatural oh. comedy called Ghostbusters. Sadly, he never got to take on the role, and it went to the brilliant Bill Murray instead. Wow, oh, that hmm. I did not know. I don't know. <laughs> what, what do we? What do we think? What do we think that would have been like? Because I mean, I, I think it would have been very different. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if it would have been as big a hit because Bill Murray carries that movie, you know? He really does. In, in my opinion, anyway. I don't know. You guys might feel differently. But I think he, he carries the humor of the movie. I think it would have been more 
cruder, possibly, or adult-oriented? Well, I I think it would have had too much. Uh, it would have been associated too much with the Blues Brothers, and it might yeah. have hurt it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like word of mouth. Well, well, this isn't the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Which is funny because they foreshadow his appearance in the uh, the panel with the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. If you look at the bottom corner, that is the Blues Brothers mobile. Oh, my God. Yes, <laughs> you're right. I completely missed that. Yeah. Because it's not, you know, it's not a New York City police car. It's black and white. It's got the P1 on the back. No lights. It's a Mount Prospect police car. Yeah, you're right. One thing I know that same panel while we're there, I, I happen to notice that the Stay Puft Marshmallow. Now, granted, it's it's different than the movie version because it's Ray as the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, but I notice his fingers are made up of individual marshmallows, like segmented huh. yeah. like marshmallows. I thought that was cool because I don't remember him looking like that in the movie. I'm pretty sure he's one solid thing in the in the movie, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Hmm. Oh, yeah, because actually it says, yeah, on his hat, it says Ray Puffed. Yeah, yeah I missed that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, artwork, I like. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The artwork does seem to have a lot of attention to detail in it. So there's probably a lot of things that we've missed by just reading it through and not, you know, studying the panels. Right. Uh, a lot of little little Easter eggs are probably in there if, if you look hard enough. Well, do you notice the guys, the guy that gets attacked by the ghost in, in the mirror, like early on when he's on the phone, is his bathroom looks normal. And then after then when you got the wide shot of the bathroom again, there's like a there's something coming out of the toilet. There's something coming out of the tub. There's things crawling out of the walls like a like a garbage can is transformed or like a planter, like everything is going crazy in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> There's a crown on the throne. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's yep. funny. I was trying to figure out if the guy in the bathroom is supposed to be somebody that we would recognize. I don't but I was, think so. I wasn't able to think of anyone. Why is there, it looks like there's a genie's lamp on top of the, uh, yeah, I but, saw that too. Yeah. But Janine's on the phone. Yeah. Oh, you have desecrated the genie of the lamp. Dog. Lasan <laughs> Chop. Well, I don't know if that. I don't remember if there was a uh, like a lamp or anything like that in the movie. All right, this right. has not a goddamn thing to do with the Ghostbusters, but I just thought, since I'm thinking about it, I'm going to throw it out there. Um, Paul, I listened to your Is It Jaws for Mr. Magoo today. Yes. Um, actually, I listened to that and uh, and uh, the, um, the Towering Inferno. Um, but I did some reading up on Jim Backus just because you guys were talking about him a lot. And I was really shocked to find out that really is him in that episode uh, with the genie in the lamp. That really is Jim Backus in that uh, that Bugs Bunny episode. I always thought it was somebody imitating where Jim Backus, but it is actually him. Which role is he playing? The genie. No. No, no. There's a, there's an earlier one, not the one you're talking about, but there's an oh. earlier one with with a genie. Um, 
Oh, okay. And, and not, it actually not, not is. I, I can't remember what the name of it is, but if you look at you look at Jim Backus's filmography on, on his Wikipedia, it's it's like one of the first things that comes up hmm. is that he was the voice of the genie in whatever Bugs Bunny episode that was, and I was like, oh my god, that really was him, because I always thought it sound it was just somebody imitating him, but it, it was really him. I'm here. Let the bells ring out and the banners fly. Feast your eyes on me. It's too good to be true, but I'm here. I'm here. But uh, I enjoyed both those episodes very much, Paul. Despite the fact, I still think you're a prick for not having me on for either of them. But <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't know that those were on your uh, must must uh, playlist. Dude, but, uh, I I'm the one that threw Towering Inferno out uh, uh, ages ago for an episode for us to do. But yeah, I, I was thinking that, I, that you probably. Didn't I wanted to be on that one too, the Towering Inferno. In fact, <laughs> I bought it on DVD. <laughs> But to be you know fair, what, Scott? We're going to do it, our own and compete with them. There you go. There you, you go. Do a commentary. You can well, call it, it. Is is it the Towering Inferno? <laughs> <laughs> but in fairness, I, I figured you probably had no idea that I absolutely adore Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. I love, and I was so happy. I don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't listened to it, but I was just happy that you guys weren't slagging the movie because that that was I was so afraid like oh they probably hate that and they're just ripping it to pieces. So I was you glad know, to be wrong. So I'm I'm ready to go with the spoiler on this. I don't think we could have loved it more than we did. Right, right, yeah. No, that was it was very I was very happy. Um, yeah. The only the only moment that I that I screamed at the episode the whole episode was you you breezed right past Royal Dano. He was like, oh yeah, he's some guy that was in a bunch of westerns. I'm like, he's fucking Abraham Lincoln. He was he was Disney's Abraham Lincoln in Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln at the '64 '65 World's Fair. He and he, How could I, I have he forgotten had, that. <laughs> I think he had Ben Lincoln in. Was it Abe Lincoln in Illinois or young Abe Lincoln in some in Washington? Something like that. So he he had played Lincoln in some movie, and Disney saw it, and that became like Disney was was a huge Lincoln fan to begin with. But he in his mind, Royal Dano was like what Lincoln looked and sounded like in real life, as as far as you know anybody will ever be able to determine. And so he was the first Lincoln when when they made Lincoln as a as an audio animatronic figure. But he did lots of other stuff too. But uh, I just yeah when I when you said oh yeah he's just starting a bunch of westerns I'm like no he did other stuff too. But <laughs> so for people who are listening though, we are going to new levels of tangenting. Yes. When we're not tangenting off of the episode we're doing, we're tangenting off of a different episode from a different show. <laughs> Because we weren't Congra- included. Congratulations. Because we weren't included. Yes, exactly. So so we've reached the, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, once again. We've reached the great barrier of tangent. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're a podcast referencing, turning and referencing another podcast, which is in turn referencing another podcast, which in turn is referencing. What are we well, missing? I, the I reference also, to the other podcast. Referencing this one, yes. I also screamed at the uh, at the Towering Inferno episode one time too because at one point I, I was so happy that you guys brought up John Williams. You didn't really talk about the score, whether you liked it or anything, but you you did mention John Williams, and then you said. 
did he do the Poseidon adventure? <laughs> like, Which I knew he did. What? I, I, I just had a, had a brain <laughs> cramp for a moment. <laughs> and he did Lost in Space. Yes, yes. Yes, he did. Yeah, no, I was very happy that you, you mentioned, like, his association with uh, with Irwin Allen and, you know, back when he was Johnny Williams. And, uh, that that was cool. I thought, okay, that was, that was, that was good. But no, I enjoyed both episodes very much, so I just wanted you to know that. Okay, and now all the listeners of Back to the Bins know it, too. <laughs> so I, I think when we've gone this far off of the uh Well, let me ask one topic. question. Uh-huh. Shoot, Columbo. Is Winston wearing a Fall Guy t-shirt? Ooh, where's that? The, the logo on Winston's t-shirt looks like the fall guy. Which, uh, oh, it's like a bird or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the fall guy logo, so I can't. Tell well, I'm going to send it to you right now. Wait, do you mean you mean the TV show? Yeah. Isn't it? Oh, somewhat- it's. It's very similar. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but damn, it is. Yeah, it is very wow. similar. Yeah, that is really similar. I mean, I can't think of what other logo that oh would be. Oh, my God. I just realized. I'm mind. thinking. I, I, that- does anybody realize that the way those wings are shaped, that looks like a penis above the eagle's head? <laughs> I'm sure that was their primary thought. I mean, I just, come on, look at it. Come on. Somebody's teabagging the eagle. I was just going to say, it does look like somebody's teabagging the eagle. I was actually just about to say that. That yes, was done on purpose. Yeah, it, yeah, it actually does look like that. That's kind of wrong. I don't know. I'm, the, as far I, as I, would the logo say it, I would say that it is it. I believe that it is. It's an homage to it. As far as the logo that's on Winston's T-shirt, I'm gonna take it as more of it's it's supposed to be like a spiritual thing, like a phoenix. Well, no, no, more like the Holy Spirit. Yeah, something like that. Because mm-hmm. wasn't he? That was uh, kind yeah, of his character, was, right? Yeah, he I, believes in God. Yeah, he says it in the movie. Yeah, not teabagging eagles. <laughs> well, he might be into that too. I don't know. Well, but. you know, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> Pretty dangerous thing, that's all I gotta say. <laughs> Those ghiblies look mighty tasty. Yeah, I, I would be kind of curious to see where this goes. Well, you may have to read on. But in yeah. the meanwhile, let's rate this one because we got another book to cover. Cool. So it's your book. Yes, it is. The cover. I think is probably the weakest part of the story of the review, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I don't feel it's, you know, particularly something that makes me say, "Oh, I gotta have this." I don't think it really highlights the uh, characters all that much. I don't think it really gives you an idea of where the story is gonna go. Uh, it's got kind of a pastelish color to it that I feel like doesn't really do it justice either except in the ectoplasmic rays um but you know it's not badly drawn but conceptually i don't like it at all i don't think it really does anything for me and i think if i was in the comic book store and i saw this 
I don't know that I'd pick it up based on this. I think I would think it's probably going to be, you know, my thought process is probably what Scott thought, that it's going to be like the cartoon that was on TV, and I really don't care to see that, and I would probably just pass it up. So I'm going to say the cover does not do what it should do. Even though it's pretty well drawn, I'm going to give it a D plus because it just wouldn't entice me to buy it. Now, the story I found to be very good. I got a kick out of the way, as we talked about the way it went into the homage, then left the homage, went into, you know, bringing the plot forward. Then it went back into the homage to the very end, making you more enticed to want to pick up the second issue. Um, it didn't really give you a full feel for each of the characters, but I think over the course of the series, they'll have time to do that. So I'm going to say story-wise, a B plus that I think it was pretty solid and it makes me want to see more of it. And the interior art, I think, does well as as well. And I think my grade actually went up as we were talking about it when we see all these little things that are inserted into the pictures that I didn't even notice the first time around. So I'm going to give this the artwork inside a B plus as well. And despite the cover, I'm going to give the book on a, on a whole a B plus. Paul, I, Paul, you ignorant slut. I can't disagree with you more. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will get that. I'm sure some people will. I got uh, it. Uh, I do too. Uh, I, I give the cover more than a D. Um, I would at least give it, uh, I would give it a C plus. I think it's a little better than that. It's a nice touch that there's a water tower on top of one of the buildings. That way it tells you you're in New York and possibly that that's the Empire State Building in the background, too. Maybe. It's definitely not the Chrysler Building. Um, Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would give this cover a C plus because when you compare it to the other covers, it's the best out of the four. I don't like the other. uh, No. No. You don't don't know how I would rate those others. (laughs) Probably a lot lower. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Interior art. uh, I. Yeah, there's a lot more. The first time I I read it, I missed a lot of the details. But then, you know, going back, um, I would give the art a uh, I would give the art a B. And the story, you know, as always, we say, yeah, I've got this has piqued my interest and now I'll never go read anymore. So (laughs) (laughs) because because there's just not enough time left in my life to read all the comic books. Um, but I will give the story a uh, a B plus. So overall, you know, a B, a B. I, uh, I I didn't really care for the cover. I'm more closer to Paul. I will give them props that they did take uh, the effort to put some details into the cover. Particularly, you can tell by looking at the picture. This in this it's after Ghostbusters two by the license plate on the car that it's Ecto-1A and it's the newer plates that we had uh, at that time. But overall, I I just don't like the cover. And I'm going to have to line up with Paul on this one, that I'd, I'd give it a D-plus as well. The interior art, when I read through it the first time, I really didn't like that either, if I'm being honest with you. But going through it a second and third time and seeing all the little hidden gems in there, that bumped it up a little bit. And I'm going to give the interior art a B minus. The story to me was the strongest point. 
I found it interesting. I would like to see where it goes. Unfortunately, probably like Dr. Bill said, I'm probably never going to get around to it. But I, I will make a, an effort. And the story I give, uh, I give it a B plus for an overall grade of a C plus on the book. Uh, to be honest, I enjoyed the story we didn't cover in the back. And I'm more curious to see where that one goes. Yeah. yeah. And I like the art better on the backup story as well. You know, I just saw a panel in the Janine talk show that should have told us before we got to Gozer. There's a guy in the audience who's completely blue. In the crowd. Oh, yeah. Show. The oh, alien looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he should have. Yeah. That should have ticked us. Oh, wait a minute. Why is that guy blue? I see. I thought that was more like those weirdos who go to things dressed in costumes and stuff. That could be. That could be. That could be. All right. Sorry, Scott. I didn't mean to step on you. No, no, you're fine. Um, yeah, I'm going to echo you guys on the cover. Now, artistically, I don't think there's anything wrong with the cover, um, but it definitely wouldn't make me pick this up. Not not only wouldn't it make me buy it, I don't even think I'd pick it up because I just automatically assumed, oh, this has more to do with the cartoon than it had to do with the movies. Um, that said, in, in all fairness, short of putting the ghost Titanic from the second movie on the cover of a Ghostbusters, I don't know how you could get me to buy a Ghostbusters book. <laughs> so I just I need to th- I need, you know, full disclosure, I need to throw that out there. Um, but artistically, I mean, it, it's not bad. So I'm going to say a middle of the road C, um, but then I'm going to knock a point off for, yeah, it, it, it doesn't make me want to pick it up. So um, I'm going to say a C minus on the cover. Um, interior art, it's an odd one because I, I think it works for this. Um, I'm not crazy about it. This definitely is not my preferred art style, but for what this is, um, I, I think it works. However, I, I still think it has that hurdle to get over is that you've got to kind of want to read this. You've kind of got to want to to get into this for whatever reason, because if you're just going by the surface of it, then again, I think if you just picked it up and thumbed through it without actually reading any of it, you're still going to walk away thinking, oh, Ghostbusters, you know, real Ghostbusters, the, the cartoon. Um, and it doesn't seem to me to really have any relation to that. And, of course, that's, you know, I'm very ignorant of that show. I just kind of remember it. I don't think I ever actually watched it. So it might have deep references to that for all I know. Um, but I, I didn't get that vibe from it, I you know, overall with the story and all. So interior art. Um, I'm going to say same thing. I, I'm going to say right middle of the road C. It, it's not great. It's not bad. It's It works for what it is. Um, it's just not really my preferred style. Um, and then the story, it, it has to be said, and I know we, we say this a lot, so I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but it's not really a story. It's It's a sixth of a trade is what it is, you know? So it's, this is set up. Um, it's not really a complete story. It's not a complete issue. It's just, it's setting everything up. 
But that said, it does the job. It does make me curious where this is going to go. Am I going to run right out and, and seek it out and you know immediately read the next issue? Well, no. I, I want to read it at some point just to kind of see where it goes out of a general curiosity. But uh, so, I mean, it, it does its job in that respect. So story wise, I'll say uh, I'll, I'll say a, a B on the story because it, it is intriguing. And I, I did like the little um you know, how it tricked me in the very beginning of it, because I, I very much thought, oh, God, here we go, you know, but it, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And uh, and I am kind of intrigued by a couple of things that it did. Um, so overall great on this. Uh, I'll say a, I'll say a B minus. I thought it was pretty good. It, it was much better than what I was expecting. I think that was basically everybody's take on it, that it was, you know, after reading it, they're right there. <laughs> Their final conclusion was that it was better than they expected to whatever degree. (laughs) So moving on from there, we have Scott's book. All right. Okay. So for my book, uh, we are going to take a look at the Spectre from DC Comics, the Spectre volume three, number one. Uh, This is a cover dated December 1992 was actually on sale on the stands, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, on October 13th, 1992, for a cover price of $1.95. It features a glow-in-the-dark cover by Tom Mandrake of the Spectre standing on a pile of human skeletons with a giant skull-shaped configuration of human bones looming behind him. It is both a striking and eerie cover. The story is entitled Crimes of Violence, and it is written by John Ostrander with art uh, by the aforementioned Tom Mandrake. At the Siegel Bailey General Hospitals, Jim Corrigan pays a visit on one Louis Snipe. Corrigan wants Snipe, now an elderly man, to remember. Remember the cop named Corrigan that used to bust his ass and how 50 years ago he was murdered shoved into a barrel of cement and tossed into the river. Corrigan reveals that he is tired. For 50 years, he has done as he was instructed, confront evil, and the world is no better. In fact, it seems worse to Corrigan, and he wants to know why, and he seems to think Snipe has the answers. He reaches for Snipe, but suddenly the curtain dividing Snipe's bed from the next patient's is whisked aside by Amy Betterman, or is it Betterman, Biederman? I'm not sure how you pronounce this. I'm going to say Betterman, a social worker who has overheard at least a portion of the goings-on. She offers her services to Corrigan in more ways than one, but he tells her simply that he is beyond therapy. Corrigan leaves, almost instantly materializing on the street outside and below the upper floor windows where Betterman witnesses a drive-by shooting that strikes several people, including Corrigan. Enraged, he transforms into the spirit of vengeance, the specter, and pursues the fleeing car full of thugs. Betterman watches all of this, but it is unclear what exactly she actually saw. The specter, meanwhile, appears in front of the fleeing vehicle as a giant head, As the car approaches, he raises his head, his mouth forming a tunnel of sorts, and swallows the vehicle whole. The occupants are caught up in a sort of vortex and awaken to find themselves transformed into the four fingers of the specter's right hand. 
The specter then shoots up with a hypodermic needle to show the punks what the death they deal feels like, and the action sets them ablaze. Amy Betterman, having seen uh, at the very least bullets pass harmlessly through Corrigan, is intrigued and inquires about him through an Inspector Kane who is on the scene for the post-drive-by carnage. There's a two-page subplot with, I'm guessing, some kind of serial killer slash Jack the Ripper type, uh, a tease of an upcoming storyline, I guess. Uh, The Spectre returns to Snipes' hospital room and this time enters into the old man seeking answers. There, back in his guise as Jim Corrigan, he relives his death, uh, though this time it is directly at the hands of Lewis Snipe. Corrigan is confused and says this is all wrong. Snipe shouldn't be here. He had nothing to do with his death, but Snipe confesses that he had everything to do with it. It was he who fingered Corrigan, setting him up uh, to be on the docks that night. Corrigan is his kill. And what is uh, and what is Corrigan even doing here anyway? Snipe demands, seeking answers. Corrigan says, "Snipe comes from what the hell did I write? Snipe comes from good. Oh, okay. Snipe comes from good people. And uh, and what did that get them?" Responds Snipe. Nothing but pain and suffering. It's all a con, says Snipe. Nothing means anything. Uh, you get what you can grab, and and you can keep. What the fuck did I write? You get what you can grab, and you you keep what you can hold, and that's it. No heaven, no hell. No good, no evil. Corrigan, once again in a metal drum filled with cement, is sealed inside, and the drum is dropped into the river. But this time, the specter, massive and menacing, emerges. You are wrong, Lewis Snipe, he calls. There is a hereafter. There is justice. And you are facing both. A battle of wills and souls commences, uh, with a, which eventually leads to Snipe being sucked into the black hole-like emptiness within his own black soul. The specter, triumphant, emerges from the old man's corpse and resumes the form of Jim Corrigan. Uh, his suspicions that Snipe had played a bigger role in his death confirmed Corrigan had hoped this would settle the score but despite having gained his revenge, he is still not free. There is still no rest. And that's the end of uh, Spectre Volume 3, number one. What did we think of this, fellas? Uh, This was a great story. I enjoyed it. I did as well. It's strange because lately I've had a much greater appreciation for like the Bronze Age horror and that type of thing. And I feel like this is, you know, built from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet I don't feel the connection to the story for some reason. So I think it's a really well-told story. I think it's it's well-drawn. I, I You know, like everything about it, I give high grades. But for some reason, it never totally pulled me in. And I think that's my own thing. I don't, I don't know if this is I – th- I think it's because – I don't see where they're going to go from here. And I think that's that's right. the problem for me. Like I said, I think it's well told, it's well drawn. It's 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 kind of cool like a lot of the elements are very surreal and and done well. But I don't I don't feel like the connection to the Jim Corrigan/Specter slash character 
for me to 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 kind of feel like okay i want to keep reading more of this i almost feel like this is a, a done in one story and i don't need to read any more see i felt having just recently read the original origin and i've been reading through those golden age stories i feel it's a way of update it's not really updating it's keeping the origin pretty much the same but retelling it for a new generation to just to let them know what it is and i i thought it was rather effective so i i don't have a lot of knowledge or or affection or really much of anything to do with the specter most of that comes from what I do have comes from his association with the Justice Society um, and then also the short-lived run in adventure comics that was drawn by Jim Aparo, and I forget who wrote that. might have been Michael Fleischer. I can't remember. Um, beyond that, you know, I, I don't really know a lot about the character or, or really have much interest. This, this really, uh, you know, my choosing this came from just curiosity to see okay what's this going to be like because i started picking this up oh it's probably it's probably been a couple years ago now i kept seeing the issues dirt cheap in in the back issue bins and as i've been want to do lately when i see something often enough cheap enough i start picking it up for whatever reason i'm like yeah what the hell you know it's there let me let me see if i can build a collection of it type of thing and I managed to get just about every issue of this. This ran 50, no, I'm sorry, 62 issues, but it also had a zero issue. So basically 63 issues and a couple of annuals, or actually one annual, I guess. Um, so you know, I managed to get pretty much the whole run, except as I was closing in on the on the very end of it, I found that uh, the very last issue was a little pricey, but then recently issue i think it's 54 yeah issue 54 suddenly jumped up because it's the first appearance of the new mr terrific the michael halt version um and so it's become really you know kind of a hot back issue well i finally acquired that which was the last issue i needed back in may um on one of uh, bill and i's trips to uh, to urban legend so having completed now the whole, you know, collecting the whole series, it was one of those like, all right, rather than letting it sit in a box after I worked this hard to build it, let me start reading the damn thing. So I read this um, this first issue a couple. It's been a couple months ago now, and I and I really enjoyed it. But I, you know, and not so much because it's the Spectre though. But I'm just I'm a big John Ostrander fan. I really like Ostrander. I don't think I've ever read anything of his that I didn't like. And I'm a total mark for uh, Tom Mandrake. And it's funny because I don't really know why. I look at the art in this and I just think, wow, this is so not my preferred art style. Um, yet somehow it works for me. And I think a lot of it is because uh, Mandrake was working on one of the bat titles. I forget which one about the time that I got serious about collecting um, Batman just like just prior to crisis. on Inter So like in the mid mid eighties, 
when I was buying Batman and Detective off the rack, he he was one of the artists uh, on that during like the whole Nocturna saga and all that. If you guys are familiar with any of that mm-hmm. stuff, so I think it's just familiarity with his art and and having having liked it from back then, and it definitely fits this genre. I, I don't, you know, I, I can't really see this applied to superheroes you know batman withstanding of course because batman you know lends himself to this dark and and weird kind of art style sometimes but i could never see him doing like you know a a bright superhero like superman or something like that but for this it, it totally works it's got a really creepy spooky vibe to it um, so I, I enjoyed it. I dug it. I thought it was interesting, but I'm with Paul. I, now I want to read this, not so much because I really like loved this first issue. I want to read this series because I'm like, where the hell can you go from here? You know, this guy is all powerful or so it seems. So how do you deal with that? How do you make him interesting and, and do interesting things with him? And I'm curious to see what they did because they must have done something if it ran for 62 issues. So uh, I'm curious. Now, just commenting on the artwork a little bit, it feels to me like a slightly less, lesser version. I mean, I'm not going to say it's at the level of, but it feels very similar stylistically in some ways to Gene Colan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, not not as good as Gene Colan to me. I mean, Gene Colan is one of the all-time greats, so it's not a, not an insult to not be as good as him. Uh but but it, it it has a similar feel to it, the sketchiness, the angles, uh, you know, some shadow, shadowy work definitely feels it's almost like Gene Colan and Bill Sienkiewicz slept slept together. It's funny you say that because I was actually thinking um, Gene Colan and Dennis Cowan. But, you know, I'm not sure who came first if, if you know, on the scene. I mean, if if Mandrake was first or if Cowan was first. So I think you could say that for either one. I think Dennis Cowan looks like, Cole, you know, Gene Colan and, uh, and Tom Mandrake had a baby too. So, um, but yeah, uh, uh, Sen- uh, Senkevic is, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely see some Senkevic in there as well. So, yeah. And, so, I mean, yeah, it, it's a good pedigree when you're tossing around names like that. Yeah, no, I think the old work is good, and I, I'm in agreement with you, you know, despite as much as I love Gene Colan, don't get me wrong, but this particular book, as I'm reading through it, it's not my preferred art style, because it's it's a little darker, it's a little less detailed, it's not as clean, that's not really the style I go to automatically, but again, as we talked about in the last book, uh, I think we have to start looking sometimes to not just not necessarily is this the art style I like, but is this the art style that teams with this particular topic? Well, right. And I think I think this storyline and this artwork fit together very well. Now, do I think it would be better if Gene Colan had drawn it? Yeah, probably. But again, I don't think that's much of an insult. Right. You know, to say somebody's, oh, you know, you're not as good as Gene Colan. Well, you know what? 98% of the world isn't. <laughs> so, or, or more than that. There's uh, something about the artwork to me that just screams out the 90s for some reason. Really? Because I was kind of feeling more of um, a vibe of, of like the, like, like you said it at the beginning, Scott, like the horror comics. Right. Right. Of, of more like the 70s and 60s. 
the the series after this one is that when Hal Jordan picks up the mantle of the Spectre? Uh, I I think I would but think I, so. I've so, never read any of that, so I, I'm well, not positive. But I I think so, I think so. I, maybe because it starts here that where Corrigan is 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 tired, he feels empty, or whatever. Maybe he's I mean because by this he's been the he's been the Spectre for decades. And right. maybe that's I, I've never read the run, so I don't know. I'm just spitballing that maybe where like it goes, he tries to maybe find ways to give up being the Spectre, which is how how Jordan gets a Spectre. Right. Mm-hmm. right. It does seem or, like that's that's not an uncommon thing for them to do uh, as a fallback almost. You know, the Spectre wanting to not be the Spectre anymore, the Phantom Stranger not wanting to be the Phantom Stranger anymore. You know, that kind of thing, with, with which I always felt there was a similarity between those two characters. Right. Uh, so that this, seems to me to be an, an easy fallback. Hal Jordan becoming the Spectre comes out of that. I think it's the Day final, of Judgment. Final night, isn't it? Yeah, final night, Day of Judgment. Yes, yeah. Which is in 99. Oh, yeah. when is this? But but the book the book was in 2001. Right, right so that then that's perfect. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm just. I'm looking at the cover of issue number one, which is cover dated March of 2001, and it's a, a very dark cover with the Spectre on the front, but with the Green Lantern mask on, and then it says Hal Jordan is the Spectre. I think I had that issue. <laughs> Did you guys like that? Because I. I hated that. I. I, I didn't, didn't like it like, at all. I, yeah. I. I actually didn't get too deeply into it, but I thought it was a cop out. Yeah, I do too. I, I once he sacrificed himself to reignite the sun. I really felt like, okay, that's the end, you know, let, let him, he, he sort of semi redeemed himself. Let, let that be it. And then they just wouldn't let him go, you know? So it's a a good thing. You know, when Barry Allen died, they never brought, and then my, (laughs) and Bucky and, ah, shit. Yeah, I know. I know. Uncle Ben's still dead. I was just going to say, I still curse the day they brought Uncle Ben back. (laughs) Because his rice was great. I was intrigued (laughs) by this. It actually gave me a a little bit of a vibe of of the question as well. Did you guys ever read the question? Yeah, I know the question. I know the question from the from the uh, Justice Cartoon. League Unlimited. That, that's where I, I know love it. him in that. I read yeah. the, there was a mini series with the question I read, and he was voiced it, by uh, the guy that does everybody all the Ferengis and stuff. Oh man, I can't remember. Jeff. Uh, no, it was what's his name from 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 Deep Space Nine. Oh yeah, yeah, Je- Je- uh, Jeffrey Coombs. Yes. Yes. Oh, was it really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, yeah, I love that guy. Yeah. He's the voice of the question. Wasn't he uh, Shran on uh, Enterprise? Yep. Yeah, yes, he was. Shran, he's been he's been a lot. He was also, of he was also a Ferengi on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Bach. No, not Bach. He was Brunt. Brunt, was yes. Brunt? Yes. <laughs> he was on Voy- uh, Voyager. Uh, he was he's and been a, a, everywhere. Does he hold the record for the most number of different I characters? I don't know. I, think he does might actually now that you say that because somebody did take that record away from uh from mark leonard and it might be jeffrey coombs now that there was another guy that played like the admiral in uh enterprise something vaughn 
or was that the character's name or the actor's name? And he played a lot of different roles. He played Klingons. He played Romulans. Hmm. Um, yeah. Interesting. I did like uh, the only real note I have on this was uh, I love on the on the opening splash page when Corrigan's outside the hospital. The name of the hospital is the Siegel Bailey General Hospitals. That is a nod to the creators of the Spectre. It was uh, Jerry Siegel, co-creator of Superman, and uh, uh, Bernard Bailey. Oh, and here I thought it was a shout-out to Mike Bailey. <laughs> I thought it was George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. Zuzu's <laughs> Paddles. Oh, <laughs> ben watched that, sounded, that for the first that time. That sounded like Sean Connery playing. Uh, right. <laughs> that would have been Sean that Connery playing Jimmy Stewart. A whole different... Uncle Billy, you lost the money, you stupid bastard. <laughs> Someone's going to jail, it's on... not going to be me. You want to take on Potter? He draws a knife, you draw a gun. <laughs> Someone is to the hospital, he says, when you're to the morgue. <laughs> you throw him off the bridge. <laughs> Man, I'd love to see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Every Sean Connery, excuse me, every James Bond actor ever is in It's a Wonderful Life. Jeff Blofeld playing Potter. Sitting, <laughs> sitting there with a cat on his lap. It's Donald Pleasant says, uh, make this movie, somebody. Well, are we ready for grades on this one? Yep. Yep, your book. All right. Well, uh, the cover... Um, the cover's okay, but I'm going to give it bonus points because it glows in the dark, which is pretty freaking cool. I like that. I am not much, usually much for, uh, for gimmicky covers, but I actually think that's kind of neat with this particular one. Um, it is a striking cover. It is a very eerie, uh, moody, weird cover. Uh, I like that the big skull behind the specter is not really a skull. It's skull shaped out of human bones. That's super creepy and weird. Um, I mean, Mandrake really, he's got some chops and this had to take a hell of a long time to draw. So uh, I think it's a pretty striking cover. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say an a minus on this cover. I think it's pretty cool. Um, interior art. Um, I, I dig it again. It's, it's, I think it fits the genre. It fits the character. It, it fits what's going on here. Um, not exactly my preferred art style, um, but there's something about it. It definitely has an energy. It has that thing that Gene Cullen did so well of fluidity. And I think that really works for this. It wouldn't work with, with everything. It wouldn't work with necessarily straight up superhero stuff, but it, it works with this. He, he, he really is able to set a mood and I like how things feel like they're moving and the kind of elastic nature of a lot of the characters works really well with this, especially with the, with the specter himself, you know, being, being a spirit and being able to grow and shrink and take different forms and that it, it actually really works well. And while there's some wonky bits, there's some really truly like spectacular stuff. I love the shot of him raising up out of the river and reaching for, uh, for snipe and the other men. It's, it's just, it's super creepy. So yeah, overall I, I, generally really kind of dig this art style 
Um, it'd be curious, you know, if I do find the time to actually sit down and read this series, I, I wonder, you know, will, will that opinion change or will I get tired of it or what? But, uh, you know, for this first issue, I, I thought it was pretty cool. So art wise, I am going to say uh, I'm going to say a B minus on the art. I I, I, I like it. Um, the, the issues I have with it a lot, I actually wonder if it might be the printing because I, I don't know that the colors are completely complementary to the art here. It, sometimes it seems a little too bright and a little too, I don't know. So it's a little weird in that aspect. It, it needs to be a little more muted uh, than it is to kind of blend more with the art style, I think sometimes, but that's kind of a minor point. And then story-wise, I, you know, I I thought it was intriguing. I don't know enough about the character, really. So this was a nice kind of sort of a primer to, to kind of bring you in, introduce you, give you some intrigue, and, and hopefully get you interested in where this might go. And it did that, because I, now I definitely want to read it, but it's more... <laughs> As I said, it's more to find out, not so much to learn things about Corrigan and, and see where the story is going. It's more to see how did you make this run 62 issues? Because I don't see where you've got much to work with here. So I'm I'm curious from that aspect. But but yeah, overall, I, I dug it. So story, I'll give the story, uh, I give the story a B minus as well. For an overall grade, I think a B minus is pretty much how I felt about the book. I, I thought it was it was good. It was fun. It was better than average. Um, but it didn't it didn't like blow me away or anything either. But it was it was fun. It was enjoyable. Okay, so I don't give extra points for glow in the dark because I don't give extra <laughs> points for gimmicks. I hate when they add gimmicks to comics. Um, I think the cover is well done. It's definitely a poster image. It doesn't make you feel like it, it's going to give you any insight into what the story is inside, but. To be fair, I'm not sure what cover would be what cover could do that and still make me want to pick up the book. So I think we're we're good with what we have here. I just think it's really well drawn uh, and it's very moody and it's kind of sinister looking. Uh, I'm going to say a solid B on the cover. Uh, Again, no extra points for uh, glow in the dark. The interior art is not totally my style, uh, but I do think it really fits the book. I think there's some very cool images, you know, the the Spectre's face becoming the the tunnel that they're going into. The the next splash page after that are all really well done. It's very moody. It's really it it complements the story really really well. So I'm going to say uh you know a, a B on the uh, artwork and you know the interior artwork as well. The story I guess they were trying to give you a feel for where they were going to go because they have that little Jack the Ripper kind of thing in there to make you kind of want to continue to see what's going to go on. But again, it felt so self-contained that it didn't really make me want to pick up the next issue. Um, I'm going to say a C plus on the story only because it it, it never really blew me away. Um, It was good. I enjoyed it. So overall, I'll give the book a, a B. And uh, yeah, it was it was good. It just wasn't great. There we go. You want to go first, Bell? Bell? Bill? 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 Bill's muted. He's muted. You're muted. Sorry, Douglas. sorry. I, I I was sitting here talking, going blah 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 blah. blah, blah. And uh, they're just ignoring me, the bastards. Uh, you want to go, Dave? 
It's all right. All right. I'll go. It's fine. Thank you. Um, the cover I thought is is dynamic. To me, it just signals what's coming. At least I'm assuming the uh, specter on his uh, mission of vengeance. I see that as the piles of bodies of his justifiable victims. I'll call it. It's the detail on the the, the skeletons. Uh, uh, it's an impressive cover. There's no other way of uh, describing it. Like Paul, I'm not going to give extra points for the glow and the uh, dark factor. But overall, I would give the cover a solid B+. There's something about the interior art that, I don't know, uh, I said I thought it felt like the 90s. It has to me almost... The, the scenes where it's just Jim Corrigan and... Uh, the social worker woman. It's to me, it's a it's a realistic style of art. But then when you get to snipe and the uh, scenes with the specter in particular, it's that funky over the top. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's definitely an over the top, maybe uh, more horror aspect to it. Right. And I think. Well, the, well, he looks a little like uh, like Snipe looks like a McFarlane character from Spawn. Yeah. Right. It's like that. He doesn't fit with the other characters. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But when you mesh the two styles in the story, I, I think it, it really works. And for that, I, I really enjoyed the art. I You know, I even... On the first page of the story here, where he's standing outside the hospital, and if you look, there's a there's a lamppost with a sign on it. It says no left, no right, no. <laughs> there's no escape. He's trapped in this no matter what he does. Mm. That's a good catch. So, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this. And, again, you know, I say this a lot of times. I would like to see where this goes, because I do find having not having, but I have, but I am in the process of reading the Golden Age stories. I have more of an appreciation for this character. And this seems as crazy as this story may seem. It seems a little more grounded than some of the original stuff. (laughs) So the the art, like I said, I enjoyed it. I'm going to give it an A minus on the art. I thought the story was a good intro. I'm curious to see where it's going to go. Guaranteed, it's going to wind up this uh, serial killer character is going to be uh, a recurring. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, you know, problem for the Spectre. I'm going to guess. Well, if I. Ha- if I had to guess, the serial killer guy is going to kill the social worker and Corrigan's going to lose his shit because he's going to at some point have uh, fallen uh, in love with uh, him. I think that's right, my Bill. theory. That's that, my theory. That, at least that's how that, I would write the book. Right. Now, now we're going to have to revisit this, folks, to see if Dr. Bill is clairvoyant on this. And, and he's going to lose his shit and cross some line and maybe... 
give up the power of the you know, like he'll sacrifice himself to bring her back but then she'll be effed up and wrong and then he'll have to become the specter again i i have no idea i'm just strictly you know throwing i don't know out. how this is gonna go but i'm liking bill's book a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna let me wrap this up i'm gonna give the art uh did i give the art a grade yet i don't recall i'm gonna give the uh, art a, yes I don't know. Did you give it? I thought you gave it an A, but I, I thought I did too. Well, it's yes. an A. The cover was a B plus. The story is a B plus. Overall grade an A minus. Right. Thank you. All <laughs> right. Uh, I will give the cover a B for bones. But um, no bones about it. <laughs> I like the cover. Um, the interior art. I got to ask on the first page. This, you know, you notice where it says no left, no right, no. Yes. Why is why does the one guy have a space invader cut in the back of his hair on the front? Because <laughs> that's the first thing I thought. I'm like, what is that? So I'm like, oh, it's a skull. And are those two little kids or two midgets playing uh, basketball? <laughs> They're midgets. Because <laughs> I was like, man, those are some beefy looking little kids. They're filming under the rainbow. I, I guess so. Um I'm going to give the story. I'm going to give the story a B plus, uh, although I'm going to give my story that I just wrote in my head an A. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, see, now I want to know how this turns out. Um, and the art, I like a lot of the touches, like the thing where he's, uh, you know, he's got like the flash in his eye. And then in another thing where he turns, he's got the he's got the skulls in his eyes. Right. I uh, you know, n- nice little little touch. Um, the art overall, uh, yeah, it's giving me vibes of like 60s horror, but also uh, like Spawn, you know, uh, like yeah. maybe very raw Todd McFarlane from Spawn. Um, I can see that. So I will say I will give the art a B plus as well. So B overall for me for the book. Cool. You know what? I'm curious to know if this goes down the road of, you know, he had a love interest in the original uh, series. I'm curious if that's going to be brought up. How You know, she's dead from old age and he's still by himself. Hmm. So I was going to ask you about that because you're you're now our resident uh, golden age guy. So I, I wondered how any of this jibed with you know those those early adventures because I, I I'm ashamed to say but I just really don't know a lot about the Spectre. I, I haven't read a hell of a lot of him. He's killed in the you know the origin story which is which we may cover at another time. Right. He's killed in exactly that same way. He's a policeman. Oh, okay. He's investigating. He's killed, put in a, uh, a drum, and dumped into the river. Oof. Oof. And his spirit goes up, and he's imbibed with the power of the specter, and he comes back. But he can't, he's still, you know, he's a policeman throughout this whole thing, but he can't marry the girl he was going to marry because he's dead. <laughs> but he interacts with when the, that happens. He's dead, Jim Corgan. And, and, you know, it's like the police department are looking for the specter. They think, he, you know, the, the trope, they think he's a criminal somehow. And he's, he's, like, yeah. he's on the case looking for himself. Mm. 
also a, like a Green Hornet type of type of deal. Yeah, yeah, but he's on the job. I'm trying to remember who did so right after Crisis when they launched and relaunched a whole bunch of DC characters and properties and everything. Um, you know, I, I tried pretty much everything that they put out because I, I was, re- I really felt like that was a high water period for, for DC where they could almost do no wrong. And they, you know, they just had so many really, really good books going on at that time. And so I actually did, uh, for a time, collect that Spectre series that that took place. Like, because I can remember it kind of spinning out of crisis. Because at least the first issue, um, God punishes the Spectre for the crisis for all the lives that were lost in the crisis. But that that's about all I can really remember about that series, and I'm. I, I didn't stick with it very long, I, and I don't really remember why, other than I, I think I was just kind of bored with it. I, I mean, that's not to say it wasn't any good or whatever. I just don't remember it being, you know, anything that really like rocked my world or anything. But I'm trying to remember who. Oh, it was Gene Cullen. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was Spectre Volume Two. It started in April of uh, of '87. Was the cover date? I actually started in January of uh, the end of January '87. It was Doug mentioned Gene Cullen starting out, and I think that's another reason why I bought it when it first started is because Gene Cullen was working on it. And I always liked Gene Cullen a lot, but I don't think i'm looking here on uh, on mike's amazing world i don't think he stuck with it very long and i think when he left i left mm. uh let's see. yeah so he lasted six issues and i think when he left at issue six i think that's when i left as well um i just don't remember it being yeah yeah definitely because the very next issue was uh was Cam Kennedy, and I've never cared for Cam Kennedy's art, so I, I think I think I might have bought I might have bought that issue, but if I did, then that was the very last issue I bought. So but that you, that series itself ran for thirty something issues, and I, I keep seeing that one in the cheap bins too. So maybe I need to go back and give it a second look sometime. Did you read any of the first series? What was that in the seventies? I'm trying desperately to find several issues of that. I never have read any of it to my memory, um, but there's several issues of that um, that tie into uh, a, a project that we're working on uh, for the show. Let me see if I can find. I'd give you the issues here. Let's see. Now, would that, do you think that would have been that would have been on Earth too, right? Or it didn't matter. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'd have to read it to know for sure. But yeah, technically, it should be taking place on Earth too. So yeah, I know issue three is one of them because issue three has Wildcat in it. Oh yeah, okay. So according to Mike's Amazing World, the note he has here is it is Spectre of Earth two. Um. But yeah, Spectre was a weird one when it came to the multiple Earth thing because they seem to play very fast and loose with that whole thing of, you know, was he Earth? Because like when they get to, 
his series in adventure comics, I don't think there's ever a mention made of the multiple Earths. So I think fans kind of got a headache trying to figure that one out. Like, what the hell Earth was this supposed to be taking place on if you if you even cared about that sort of thing, you know? It's almost like the brave and the bold, some of those issues. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that in those cases, that's because what's his name? Uh, Haney just he didn't give he didn't give a shit, man. He you know <laughs> he was just about writing his story. He didn't he did not jump through hoops for stuff like that. I know that there's at least one one other issue of uh, of the original because the original Spectre ran ten issues, and I know that there's at least one other. I think maybe number seven. Oh, that's what it is. There's a there's a backup story in it. Um, so it's not the Spectre story proper. It's it's the story in the back that makes it something that I'm seeking for uh, for our other project. But yeah, um, long long answer to your question is no. I've never I I don't remember ever reading any of it. But uh, I'm actively seeking a couple of issues for for other reasons. Um. I do have a number. Actually, I think it is a number ten. The last, the last issue was one of those ones where I, I, I told that story on this show a while back about that uh, secondhand place I went to, and they had all the books that were up on the wall, and I finally got tired of trying to find somebody to help me, so I just got them off the wall myself, <laughs> bought them, got it for a buck. Jeez. Yep. Self-service prices. That's it. Hey, you know, sometimes you just gotta, you know. Did they let you ring them up too, like in CBS? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like Walmart. Yeah. Bring, bring up. This one's only fifty cents. They said, "Hey, while you're here, we got a truck out back that needs to be unloaded too." So. <laughs> yeah, good. I'll take my employee discount then. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Oh, God. I saw him carting somebody out the door the other the la, one of the last times I was at Walmart. I said somebody you know, we were carting somebody out the door. They had busted him for misringing something on the auto checkout. Now I'm assuming that like he did it purposely, but I'm just saying if that shit ever happens to me, I'm gonna wind up on the news and on YouTube and everything else because I will make a scene about that because how dare you make me go to the auto teller and then turn around and critique my job performance? You know, it's like seriously, screw you. You know, if you don't like the way I do this shit, maybe you should have a teller out there doing it for me. Mr. Goddard, this is going to show up on your review next year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was I was surprised the guy wasn't flipping out, but I'm I'm assuming he was, you know, he he legitimately was, you know, <laughs> trying well, to I scam heard, them. Well, I think you could like sometimes. I don't know this for a fact. I might have just read it somewhere. You could like make <laughs> up your own barcodes and stick them on things. And <laughs> no, no, seriously. And then, then you, you know. Yeah. I'll buy that for a dollar. Well, I've I've wondered about you know as somebody that worked a lot of retail, um, you know, prior <laughs> in my prior existence, you know, I, I've wondered I'm, their shrink has got to be out of control. You would expect now that so many places expect you to just ring yourself out. I, I would think that that's that it's just got to be unreal. Would, I often think. 
I often refuse to go to the self checkout. Like I, I will wait in line. And so the new thing that like the Walmart Fresh Market by me is doing now is okay, so they only have two registers with people on them. All the rest have now been converted to self checkout. And they've got two old ladies, one on each register, and they're slow as can be. But you know what? Yep. I will stand there just so that those ladies will still have a job. So I'm I'm with you. I understand where you're coming from. Because However, I, if I'm getting one I, gallon of milk, I'm going through the checkout line and I'm out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I I did that for the longest time because when those things came along, I said I will never use that. And for the longest time, I, I stuck to my guns and everything. But I tell you the reason that I do it now, for one thing, when you go to like the Walmart these days, my local Walmart, they don't give you a choice. There's not even a friggin' human cashier available. So, oh, I know. You, so I know. even if you want to be like, I refuse to do that. Well, you have no alternative. You either use it or you don't buy groceries. You know, Well, the alternative it, is you go to a store that doesn't have fucking self-checkout. Well, yes, that too. Excuse but my the, French. The biggest reason I stopped where, where you know, because I, I'm with you. I was like, you know, th- this is, you know, they're eliminating jobs, you know. So let me let me help this poor slob out, you know, that that's that's here and you know, trying to get hours and, you know, trying to earn a living and everything. Let me go to that person's line. And invariably, I'd get one of two types of people. I would either get the 103-year-old lady that moved at an absolute snail's pace, or more often, I would get the young person, typically a teenager, with the ear piercings and, you know, the, the lip piercings and the nose ring and the mohawk and the purple hair and the totally, I just don't, I cannot be fathered to talk to you attitude. And I'm thinking, ass, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to save your job. And you can't be pleasant. You can't hold a conversation. You can't say thank you. Nothing. And I, I got so sick of that shit that I'm like, you know what? I don't care anymore. Let me just check myself out. I can be in and out of here in 10 minutes as opposed to waiting three hours, you know, in the checkout lane, you know, just to try to do the quote unquote right thing and getting zero appreciation for it. So, yeah, screw it. I don't I don't bother with it anymore. But I I get you. I mean, you know, ultimately, though, it it comes down to the businesses. I mean, what what a rotten way to treat your customers, you know, and people put up with it. You know what I find hysterical is here. Everything is locked up now because, you know, they're not locking anyone up for stealing anymore. Right. Maybe in your state. (laughs) Yeah, in my state. You go to CVS, everything is locked up. Eye drops, nose drops, deodorant, razor blades, you name it, it's locked up. The, The refrigerated cabinet, you know, with beer in it, there is a chain and a padlock. Now, this is why I find it funny. So you have to get the store employee to come and unlock all this stuff, which they do. They give you the stuff. Now it's up to me to go up to the register and check it out. <laughs> so is it their job now to assess you? Uh, does this guy look like he's going to run out the door with the deodorant? Do I give it to him? The guy stinks. Let him have it. Uh, this we could we could do an entire episode on stuff like this because customer service today quote unquote customer service 
makes me absolutely insane because it just doesn't exist anymore. And the the workers, especially the young people, I you know I try, I try so hard not to be that you know kids today, but it's true. They have like no sense of customer service, no sense of this person pays for my existence by by shopping here, by being a patron. They have no concept of that, whatever. But they, you know what I think it is, Scott? It's they don't know how to deal with people at all. Right. 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 Everything's right. online. Send a text. Don't call. Send a text. But I mean, you know, when when I worked retail years ago, you know, we we would jokingly say things like, you know, this would be a great job if it wasn't for the friggin' customer. You know, but you're joking when you say that, or you know, the the thing about uh, you know the the customer being you know there's there's a thing they used to hang in like all the back offices of like every retail place I ever worked about you know the customer is not a distraction blah 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 and somebody would always end up writing something you know some smart ass remark about you know on the thing or whatever but that's how they actually act now I mean I can't tell you how many times I, I've been in some store somewhere, Walmart or whatever. And if you can actually even find an employee in there, <laughs> you, you ask them a question and they act like you are just taking them away from the most important thing in the world. And, and that you're just a complete distraction pain in the ass. Not, Not my section. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That sort of thing. And it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible, but I don't, how the hell did we end up talking about because <laughs> the specter is going to bring doom down on all of us right <laughs> we're doomed well i think the sphincter is closed on this one <laughs> and what a guesser it was <laughs> well we hope we'll everyone will join us next time when we'll continue with bill's book because that's a hell of a lot more interesting than anything we've covered tonight maybe i'll try to read a few issues at sea because i was looking at the end of the book and there was like a there was like scenes i guess from upcoming issues right right yeah. and and one of them he's talking to her and they look like they're getting a little close or and then he said something like well for you i'll spare them or i don't know so see i see i was i bet you i'm right oh. those were the deleted scenes they're not going to be in anything oh okay <laughs> That original series, I mean, one of the reasons that, that it prices so high is a lot of the issues of that were uh, were very early um, Neil Adams. Mm. So some of that stuff is uh, is quite pricey, quite hard to get by. Although that, guy, that guy's going to go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm noticing a lot of that's been reprinted, though. So I don't know. Actually, let's see here. It looks like. Spectre, it's only 10 issues. So Spectre number one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, it looks like. Okay, let's see about this one. Yep. Okay, yep. well, my sphincter's not bothering, but my bladder is calling. So, <laughs> uh, I got old man disease. So, just about all of the specter stories in specter volume one looks like got reprinted in late issues of uh, of adventure comics so mm. interesting how late like like what numbers 
let's see. Issue eight, for example, uh, was reprinted in, in Adventure Comics 502, which is right near the very end of this. Actually, uh-huh. is that the last issue? No, it's right toward the very end of the series, though, because Adventure only lasted like 503 or something like that. So, yeah, it's. But yeah, 503. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so right near the, it's like in the 490s of uh, of Adventure Comics is when they were reprinting uh, the Spectre stuff. Oh, for anybody who's wondering where Paul's been for the past 20 minutes, he had to hop onto another uh, podcast. He had another, he had a prior engagement. So <laughs> we're not just like muting him and getting rid of him. So It's but, on uh, him. Speaking next, of that, it's time to go. Towering Inferno next time. <laughs> the Towering Inferno. Yes. Comic. Yes. You and I need to get together and do the Towering Inferno since that bastard didn't invite us on to, to do that. Is there a Towering that's... Inferno comic book? Ooh, that's a. Hmm, let's see. I bet it's a hot one. Oh, the hot oh. one. Well, I can put it out because I have to pee all over it. Let's see. Towering. <laughs> and on that note, uh, uh, we'll wait for Scott. Nothing comes up as far as a series. Really? Let's see. Story. Like Let's see if there's a story like a, called the Towering. Like a big giant gold key edition or something. Like a big Whitman. Whitman comic. The uh, Towering Inferno. It's got to fold out like a centerfold except horizontal. What the hell is Vertical. this? Uh-oh. It's some sort of manga called Fire Investigator Nanase. <laughs> N-A-N-A-S-E. Two. And it has chapters called The Towering Inferno. So, yeah, I don't know what the hell. It's from 2009. I don't know what that is. But, yeah, that's the only thing I'm finding. So, yeah, I don't think they ever adapted that particular one. Uh, you would think that, would have made, that would have made a decent, like, Marvel Super Special type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That in the Poseidon Adventure. And, uh... Yeah. I don't think they did that one either, to the best of my knowledge. Mm. All right, well, I think we're good for this time. All right, that was fun. That was fun. Well, full of tangents, as always. All right, we, I'm going to hit... We're done. I'm hitting the end right here. All right, bye. Find the record bye, button. Bill. hell is it? There it is. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. I love you.